Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. Today we're talking about receiving the power, receiving the power. So I just want to begin by reading our text, Acts chapter 2. Verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a loud, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Chuck Swindoll writes, by the time I had graduated from seminary, I had many convictions and few questions regarding the Holy Spirit. But during a lifetime of ministry that has taken me around the United States and to many countries abroad, I have found that the work of the Holy Spirit continually keeps me off balance. I'm not alone in that. Those in church leadership seem afraid the Spirit is going to do something we can't explain. I've found that disturbs many folks, but I'll admit it energizes me. I've come to realize that there are dimensions of the Spirit's ministry I have never tapped, and places in this study about which I know very little. I'm on a strong learning curve. I have witnessed a dynamic power in His presence that I long to know more of firsthand. I now have questions and a strong interest in many of the things of the Spirit I once felt were settled. To say it plainly, I am hungry for more of him. I long to know God more deeply and more intimately. Well, Chuck, who is, I guess if you could say I have a preaching hero, he's my preaching hero, wrote that in 2010, around age 75, after 40-odd years of what anybody would call a very successful ministry. Second to the cross and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the arrival of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which by the way is May 23rd this year, is the most world-changing supernatural event in history. 
Pentecost began as a harvest festival. It was celebrated for 50 days, seven complete weeks after the Passover. But by the time of Jesus, Pentecost had come to be celebrated as the anniversary of the giving of the law by Moses and the renewal of the Mosaic Covenant. No one who understood this could miss the significance in Luke's account here in the book of Acts. Pentecost was for the Jews the day of giving the law, which formed them into a nation. Pentecost is for the church, the Christians, the day of giving the Spirit, which formed them into the church, the visible kingdom of God on earth. So you'll see, you see the two the significance of those two events and how anybody in that day and time would have recognized that. Pentecost marks the day that God inhabited planet earth in person just as Jesus promised in John chapter 14 verses 15 through 21 and I'd like to go there just briefly. John chapter 14 verses 15 through 21. If you love me, he said, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In, on that day... You will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He will be in you. I will be in you, says Jesus. So Pentecost is the day that God re-inhabited planet Earth in person, only this time he did not limit himself to one earthly human being or one earthly body. At Pentecost, God himself, in the person of his spirit, inhabited the bodies of his chosen ones. And he did it on that day, and he continues to do it in our day, and the whole world is different because he did. So the Holy Spirit's importance cannot be overemphasized. Without the Spirit, there is no such thing as the church. Without the Spirit, it is impossible to live the Christian life. Without the Holy Spirit, we are just going through the motions of religiosity, having the form of godliness, but no power. It is imperative that we know who He is and how He works in our lives so that we can live with power. And that's the point of the message today, receiving the power. We cannot operate in the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. So who is he? A lot of things can be said about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Probably the, most, the two most important are these. He is a person. He is not an it or an impersonal force. My wife and I uh, had a bit of nostalgia Friday night. We watched a 45-year-old movie the key phrase of which covers the whole series of movies is what? May the force be with you, right? We missed May the 4th. We should have done it last week. But anyway, we did it this week. The Holy Spirit is not the force. 
The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force that inhabits and holds the galaxy together. He may hold the galaxy together, but he's not impersonal. How do we know that? Well, the passage I just read, John chapter 14, 16 and 17, he is the spirit. He will give you another counselor, the spirit of truth. Now check out these personal pronouns. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with, with you and will be in you. He is a person, not a force. Second, he is equal with God. He's the third person of the Trinity. The Trinity is a mind-expanding concept the Bible testifies to but does not explain. But let's just look in one of those places where it testifies to it, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity, equal with God, equal with the Son. Jesus is clearly equating the Spirit with himself and with the Father. So, now that we know who he is, the next most important thing we can ask is, is he in my life and does my life show evidence of it? Now, let me take you to something that may uh, upset you or sort of rattle your cage a little bit if you think that the Spirit, you've got everything nailed down about the Holy Spirit. Turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. So what has happened at this point in the story is that people to the north of Jerusalem in Samaria have started to believe in Jesus. And so when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they arrived, they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's fascinating because what we're seeing there is you can actually believe in Jesus and, and you can actually believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he died for our sins. You can be baptized in Jesus, but you can be at the place in life where you have not received the Holy Spirit. That's what this is showing us in Acts. I know it makes us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable, but that's what this is showing us. Martin Lloyd-Jones was not known as a Pentecostal preacher. He held this pulpit at Westminster Chapel in London, and he was the great preacher of Reformed theology. That's, for those of you who don't, don't, who don't know, that's Calvinism. We would other, otherwise know that as Calvinism. I have great respect for Calvinism. I have many friends who are Calvinists. No, no uh, disregard or, or dissing Calvinist from this pulpit. Near the end of his life, and some say at the very pinnacle of his ministry, Lloyd-Jones asked his congregation a question. He said, I want to talk to you today about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You may call it what you want, but I want to know, have you experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit? I know all of you listening to me come as I do from a Reformed background, Reformed theology, but it's not good enough. I know that all of you would want to say to my question about the Holy Spirit, well, we got it all at conversion. There's no need for any more experience. Well, said Lloyd-Jones, 
I have only one other question to ask you. If you got it all at conversion, where in God's name is it? Is there any evidence in your life? Is there any transformation? Is there any power? The Holy Spirit's work did not stop at the end of the book of Acts. We tend to look at the supernatural events that, are, that occurred there, the phenomenal events. Everything he does is supernatural, but some of them are more phenomenal than others. And we think, well, that was then and this is now. And there's some resistance in our lives to this. Um, I have an interview. I'm not going to have time to read it to you today, but it's from uh, a, an Indian friend of mine named Dr. Bobby Telepan. And just to give you the Reader's Digest version, his whole family came to Christ and became generations of preachers in church because his uncle was walking down the road one day and possessed by a demon and fell into a demonic possession and was destroying him and destroying the family and destroying everything. They went everywhere they knew to go. They went to idols. They went to doctors. And finally, somebody said, well, you know, there's this Christian church down the street. Why don't you take him there? That church and that pastor prayed over this, his uncle, and he was delivered. It's a phenomenal story. It's one of those phenomenal stories. But the point that I'm trying to make by telling you this is the Holy Spirit was at work doing something we're not used to seeing him doing. And this was in, 19, in the 1970s. And the effect in that family and then in hundreds and thousands of people later has carried itself out in India. So in places like FCC and conservative evangelical churches all around, we tend to have some resistance to him. Chuck Swindoll was writing about this in his book, Flying Closer to the Flame. And he said, nowhere in the scriptures do I find a statement that limits the Spirit's presence or dynamic to some bygone era. Chuck notes three forces of resistance that prevent us from experiencing the Spirit's presence in, in our life. Number one is fear of the unknown. We are afraid of things we are unfamiliar with. Jesus said that there is some mystery attached to the ministry of the Spirit. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell whether it's come from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's not something we can control. Most of us are afraid of things that we cannot control. And so part of the resistance between us and the Spirit is just fear of something we can't control. Second, he says, there were traditional limits. We didn't grow up in churches that taught about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and so we're just unaware. I was, that was a story of my family. We're just unaware. Or we were aware of churches that did emphasize the ministry of the Spirit, and frankly, we didn't like what we heard. A lot of what we heard described as the ministry of the Spirit looked like emotionalism on one hand or emotional manipulation by leaders with questionable motives on the other. I've seen both. I've experienced both. So we adopted more traditional limits. Third, were personal excuses. We don't like the idea of submitting to the ministry of the Spirit because we don't know where He might take us. 
or what he might require of us. Some, somebody told me something really helpful uh, when we were first beginning the Alpha Course here, and I was concerned because the Alpha Course has a definite focus on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and so I was talking to someone in another church that had done this before us, and I said, frankly, I've, I've seen some crazy stuff, and I'm, I'm a little concerned. And this person told me, said, you know, here's what we've learned. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He only comes where he's asked, and he uh, deals with people in a way that they can handle it because he's a gentleman. This is not a demonic force that wants to overwhelm and overpower people. This is the third person of the Trinity who's been relating in love and fellowship with the other two persons of the Trinity for eternity. There's no overpowering here. So Willie asked me to do something strange. Will he give, make me, want me to give away my money? Will he ask me to confess some hidden sin? Will he ask for forgiveness for someone I don't like? Or to grant forgiveness to someone who's injured us? And we just might not want to go there. So, now I, I bet if you've been listening to me for the last 10 minutes or so that the drift of my comments have made some of you uncomfortable and have given some of you like putting premium gas on a blazing fire. So let me throw a little water on it, okay? I wanna give you a very specific and definite warning. And that's this, the Holy Spirit cannot be conjured. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he cannot be manipulated or conjured by anybody. That is pagan spirituality. The difference between biblical spirituality and pagan spirituality is just this. In biblical spirituality, we are bowing the knee and submitting to Christ Jesus our Lord, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and inviting them in and asking them to do whatever they want us to do. In pagan spirituality, we are manipulating the forces of the supernatural for our purposes and for our benefit. Two very distinct and different things. So let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Acts chapter 8 again, just a little bit earlier than the, or later rather than the passage we were reading a minute ago. Acts chapter 8, verses 18 through 23. This is the story of Simon the sorcerer. When Simon saw, we're just jumping in the middle of it here, but when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, so this falls right after that passage I read to you a minute ago, where Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me this ability also, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You thought you could manipulate this, Simon, like everything else you've been doing in the spiritual world. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. 
Now turn, please. So you see that Peter, in the first part of chapter 8, Peter and John have laid hands on people. They've received the Holy Spirit. Simon the sorcerer thinks, oh boy, I can, I can do this on my own. Give me this power, guys. I can conjure this up on my own. Peter says, you're toast. You're just done if you think that this, you're going to control this. So now let's look at Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is the story of Peter preaching in Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile centurion. He's a, he's a God-fearer, but he's not heard the gospel yet. If you know your Acts very well, you know that Peter has got a vision. He's had a message from God. Go see this guy. These are total Gentiles. Look in verse 44. Peter comes in and, and he tells them the story. He says, God's told me to come here, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to preach. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now pause right there and ask yourself, did Peter lay hands on anybody? Nope. Did Peter ask people to come forward to pray? Nope. All he was doing was just preaching. He had no control over this whatsoever. In fact, if he'd had his way about it, he probably would have had more control because they were, these were Gentiles. And they didn't think they were supposed to be talking to Gentiles at this point. He's preaching, and the Holy Spirit just, boom, falls on all these Gentiles in the middle of his sermon. He has no control over it whatsoever. The point I'm just trying to emphasize here is the Holy Spirit cannot be conjured. He comes and goes where he wants to come and go. He fills or he does not fill in phenomenal ways or non-phenomenal ways as he chooses. We have no control. Same thing was happening. Uh, uh, emotional problems, emotionaliz emotionalism, pardon me, and sort of this um, super spirituality was happening in 1 Corinthians. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is answering a question. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, chapter, verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts, and it says, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, actually, the word gifts is not in there. It's just about, if you do a literal translation, it's just about the spiritual. So in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is answering several questions that the Corinthians have sent him by letter. And so now he's just gotten to this place where he's going to talk about the spiritual, those who are being super spiritual. They'd asked him to write about this, and he takes this up. And he says, he says to them, uh, verse 1, now about this thing, verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. This is a bit of a knock to the Corinthians' pride. Because if I can paraphrase it it's like you guys know that you were led astray by enthusiasm before let's not have that happening again so there were pagan worship services there were celebrations that included parades and they put a lot of emphasis on ecstatic utterances if you've ever read the story of elijah on mount carmel in battle with the, the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal, they're doing all this crazy stuff. They're jumping up and down. They're even cutting themselves, working themselves into a frenzy in order to call Baal down. 
And all Elijah does is pray, obey God, pour the water in the trench around the, uh, around the bonfire, and pour it all over the bonfire and just pray. That's all he does. And God drops down fire from heaven. So there were pagan worship services and celebrations that included parades. They put a lot of emphasis on ecstatic utterances. People being caught up in the small s spirit of, of the worship experience, speaking forth some word or song or prophecy that would later turn out to be true in pagan worship services. And if you talk to people today who've experienced or witnessed certain kinds of idol worship, they will tell you it's quite real. There are spiritual small s things happening that have no other explanation. People who study all these religious experiences tell us that other religions experience similar phenomena. And it's one of the arguments for religious pluralism. That's why people say, well, they're all the same. You know, you Christians, you think that you're the only ones that spiritual things happen. I'm telling you, it's happened over here. It's happened over there. It's happened in this kind of religion. It's happened in that kind of religion. They're documented occurrences of it. And they're right. So just because something looks spiritual, it doesn't mean it comes from God. It doesn't mean it's the Holy Spirit necessarily, Paul is saying. Don't let yourselves get fooled again. I think it's incredibly important that any church that is going to have any kind of power in its ministry, that we listen to the Spirit's leadership, that we do ministry empowered by the Spirit of God, and that... He, we get all of the gifts that he ordains for us to have. I can tell you that as a preaching pastor for 24 years here, there have been many, many times when I've prayed for this congregation and I've said, God, let her rip. Just do whatever you're going to do. And in our congregation, we've never had some of the phenomenal experiences that other churches have had. And that's okay. It's his call. He's God. He gets to decide. But Paul here, nowhere in the text are we told that the manifestation of the gifts is to be accompanied by extreme emotionalism or ecstatic frenzy. Yes, they spoke in tongues. Yes, it was amazing. They were speaking actual languages that could be understood at this point by foreigners who were in town. Yes, it was amazing, but nowhere do we see people being out of control. In fact, Paul is urging the opposite. If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, he's saying, guys, stuff should be done decently and in order. So here's the point that I'm working toward with all of this. Our emotions became unreliable at the fall. Beware of worship services that purposefully, intentionally seek to work you up into a frenzy or into an emotional state where your mind disengages. But neither is the Christian life simply a mental discipline. Our rational minds are just as fallible, just as broken by the fall as our emotions. Christianity is not cold orthodoxy. It is living truth. And so if the mind is not quickened 
made alive by the Spirit of God, we cannot understand the things of God. If the emotions are not awakened by the Spirit of God, we cannot feel the conviction necessary for change. If the will is not empowered by the Spirit of God, we do not have the capacity to obey. So I'm just urging you, do not be afraid. The Spirit is here to be our helper. He is here to be our counselor. His presence is peace and freedom from fear. His presence is power to do ministry and power to witness. Don't let your traditions keep you from learning the truth, but do not fall prey to attempts to conjure him. He is God. He will not be conjured. He can only be received. So let's talk, let me just finish by talking about the main agenda of the Spirit. The main agenda of the Spirit, and that is transformation. So as we look at the behavior of Peter and the apostles in Acts 2, we have to ask ourselves, what in the world changed these guys? If you'll remember, prior to the, the arrival of the Spirit, this was a different group of guys. In the earlier days, they were much more impulsive. They were much surer of themselves. They wanted to call down fire on people. They competed for positions of power. Peter boasted of his loyalty and courage, but everybody failed Jesus miserably. And now they're waiting. All they're doing is waiting, just doing what Jesus said at, in that moment for them to do because they know something. And what do they know? They are intimately acquainted with their own inadequacy. Jesus has made that extremely clear to them. They are intimately acquainted with their own incompetence for the work to which they are called. So here's a, a good applicational question for all of us. Are you acquainted with your incompetence to live as a Christian, to testify as a Christian, to do your job as a Christian, to grow as a Christian, are you acquainted with your own incompetence? If you are, great. You're in a great place to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not, there's probably not much God can do with you until he breaks you of that. Let me give you some specific examples. Have you figured out that you cannot stop resenting the person who hurt you on your own? Have you learned that you can't follow through on your promises to God in your own power? Have you discovered that the joy and the peace that are supposed to accompany salvation elude you? Part of the Spirit's work is to help us discover those incompetencies so that we can then say, okay, Lord, I'm convinced. I realize you've got to show me, you've got to empower me. Okay, now I'm ready. Take me where I'm supposed to go. You know, so what happened to these disciples? What happened to these guys? How did this massive change in them happen? Because before, they were aggressive when they should have been patient. They were cowardly when they should have been brave. They were confused when they should have been clear-headed. And those weaknesses characterized them. 
You see, we think it's not a supernatural thing for all of that to change. It's a supernatural thing for all of that to change. They became bold. How did they do that? Did they attend a seminar on boldness? No. Did they take a cram course on languages to speak in these other tongues? No. Did they study the positive thinking principles of Mr. Osteen or the guy before him, Norman Vincent Peale? No. Did they spend a few months meditating in the desert? No. All they did was what Jesus told them to do. Wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. Then you will have power. Then you will have competence. Then you will have boldness. Then you will have clarity. Then you will be able to speak the gospel in a way that cannot be contravened. A.W. Tozer said it like this, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. The question is, do we believe it? So let me ask again, is the Spirit of God being allowed to transform your life? Have you ever said, God, I lack the power of transformation in my life and I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may have the power to obey you? Have you? Let's bow and do that right now. You don't need me to pray this prayer for you. You just need to pray it yourself. Ask him. Offer yourself up to him and ask him. now, Father, we pray, fill this place and fill these people with your Holy Spirit. Refill us again each and every Sunday. Refill us again every day, every morning when we get up and we spend time with you. We read your word and we sing praises and we pray, fill us. Make us powerful like your apostles. Change us from the inside out. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I told you um, a couple of weeks ago about a stuntman. Do you remember me telling you about the stuntman, Robert Wilton, and how the 
other stunt man was testifying to him and it was like a pebble in his shoe that God, this God kept rubbing on him, you know, and pushing on him until he finally, until he finally believed and he, he thought he had to be perfect before all that could happen and he finally believed. And he's, I just wanted to finish the story for you because it so well illustrates what we're talking about here. He said, I don't know what I was expecting. But there was no immediate change, no obvious physical, emotional, or spiritual sensation. Had God heard me? In any event, I didn't dare tell a soul just in case what I thought had happened had, hadn't really happened. But the following weeks confirmed two things. God had indeed heard my prayer and the stone was gone from my shoe. Before long, I worked up the confidence to evangelize my fellow crew members. And there were sudden changes in my behavior, too. Among the first things I noticed was that my go-to indulgences no longer held any appeal. Isn't that interesting? You know, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm grateful he doesn't actually list them. It's just whatever the indulgences were that gave him a sense of comfort or whatever, they just lost their appeal. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. He doesn't come in just hammering you. It's like, don't do this anymore. You just, you just lose the desire. It's no longer appealing. And he said, and the dirty humor I once relished no longer struck me as funny. It just fell away. And meanwhile, my habit of cursing like a drunken sailor had vanished. He didn't have to try, guys. It just fell away. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the only one who can do that. Here's how I know. Be a pastor long enough and you will hear people come to you and tell you, I've struggled with this sin and I've struggled and I've struggled and I've struggled and I can't overcome it. It's like, you need to let the Holy Spirit do that for you. You're never going to win. He said, I couldn't explain these changes, neither could anyone else. Someone accused me of pretending to be righteous, but deep down, I knew the Holy Spirit was at work. That is what Jesus made possible by his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Because it was only after he ascended that he sent the Holy Spirit. That's what we celebrate. It's one of the things we celebrate when we celebrate the bread and the cup. It wasn't just this poor martyr hanging on a cross and dying a miserable, horrible death because he was a nice guy. He was God in human flesh, paying the price for all sin, breaking open the doors of heaven and pouring out the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he was accomplishing on the cross. That's what we celebrate when we take the bread and the cup together. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us, on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online 
at FCCSOBO.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.